Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 95 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today's episode is a little different. I am talking with an expert on grief dreams, Dr. Joshua Black. He is from Canada, so his website is griefdreams.ca. This was really a fascinating topic for me to talk with him about because Dr. Black really approaches dreams from a very scientific perspective. He doesn't come in with preconceived notions, either spiritual or not, and he really isn't judgmental at all. Overall, he talks about how, unlike regular dreams, which tend to be more negative, grief dreams are more positive in nature. He also talks about how some people really naturally remember their dreams and others just don't. And that's okay, too. He has a few little strategies to help us maybe remember our dreams a little bit better if we'd like to. Overall, it was just a super interesting conversation that I'm excited for you to listen to. So at the end of today's episode, I want you to listen all the way because I have my good friend, Rizarta, coming on from New Jersey. She comes on and talks about one of her recent dreams about her son, Liart. Also, make sure to visit my different social media platforms. If you may have noticed, it's likely a bit better than it has been in the past because I now have someone helping me on posting to different platforms. So you will be able to see the video of Rosarta if you go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even my YouTube channel. So if you check out the video, you'll be able to see Rosarta wearing a cute t-shirt with Laird's picture on it. So be sure to check that out as well. so much, Joshua, for agreeing to come on the show today. I have Dr. Joshua Black, who is coming on and talking about grief dreams. So why don't you start out just by telling us a little bit about your background and how this kind of all came to be, your passion, really. You know, like I think with most of us, we, we start because of a tragedy in our life. And for me, it was my dad who died very suddenly. And it took the wind out of my sails. Like I personally hasn't never suffered uh, a significant loss in my life. So I didn't really know what grief was, but after that happened, I definitely felt something and uh, it scared me. (laughs) It really scared me with the amount of tears that were coming out. Like I was a pretty good male. Like I wasn't crying any, any (laughs) time happy or sad, but like I couldn't stop crying when I was notified he died. How old were you at the time? I was 24. Mm -hmm. And so I was in my undergrad at the time. 
which, you know, like it was great. I had school to go back to afterwards because I felt like it gave me that routine that, you know, maybe if I didn't have that, it may be a different story. But um, the first three days after I found out and doing the the funeral and all that sort of stuff, I just couldn't stop crying. It was just very hard. Mm -hmm. What was interesting was when I went back to school, I didn't have any more tears, but I, I also felt different. And the best way to put it was the color came out of the world. Like I was just walking, doing what I needed to do, but there was no joy. It was just like, everything was just like, just you're doing it because you need to do it. Like there was, one would say I'd probably be depressed in that sense. It wasn't feeling joy or sadness. Yeah, it's funny how you just get kind of numb and you just don't yeah. feel anything at all. So I lost my mother actually when I was in undergrad too. Mm-hmm. Mm. So Christmas break in the middle of my junior year. So, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. So I totally appreciate that uh, experience because I had the same one, really. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, was the loss before or after the exam? Oh, it was after. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was after. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we actually put my mom into the hospice facility on Christmas Day, and then she died three days later on the 28th. So, yeah, so, um, but she had had cancer, so we knew it was coming, but it's still, it's still hard to take, right? You still don't quite accept your parents just suddenly being gone, especially when you're still really a kind of a kid, you know? (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. I didn't really, I guess, addled up until after, you know, I was finished my PhD just because I I was always in school and you just have that mentality that you're still a child in a way. Right. <laughs> I know. I tell I tell my patients that kids that are in school, like, well, I didn't get my first job until I was thirty. So, you know, I was still going to school kind of forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And that's something, you know, like I've taught some courses in university. And what's sad is, you know, there's so much loss going on in university settings and colleges where a lot of students just don't get support from their professors when they have a loss. And, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, if you're dealing with a loss and plus you got to do an assignment or you got to do an exam, we know like how much grief affects the brain and memory. Mm -hmm. And it's sad how a lot of students just, they try to do it anyways without really uh, utilizing what's available to them and speaking out and saying, I just can't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That next semester was my kind of worst semester as far as grades go and things like that. And considering I was trying to go to medical school, that's not the best time to have your worst semester be be that uh, spring of your junior year. But you know, <laughs> that's why they have personal statements to explain why your grades weren't maybe what they were for the rest of your college experience. I didn't know if they actually read those, but that's good. <laughs> I think they did. I don't know. I don't know if they did. That's funny. And so going back to the story, when I went back to school, I just, it was just said this, uh, this great world. And it lasted for about three months. Mm-hmm. And I just thought this was what grief is. This is just how my life is moving forward. I wasn't trying to change it or go to a support group or anything. I just thought this is it. Like, this is what happens. Mm-hmm. And then I had this dream. And this is what changed me. And I, it's one of the most important moments in my life because I don't know if I would have sought help or figured it out on my own, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth. But this dream completely changed how I was processing the loss. And so I'll tell you the dream. I was in my room and I could see my dad at the other end. And he was looking really healthy and happy and almost like light, like he had almost like a light spirit, mm-hmm. the best way to put it. He had a lot of issues in waking life. Like he drank to cope with his emotions. You know, he was just, he had a lot of trauma in his life. So in, in my mind, he was always heavy, you know, kind of angry and all sorts of stuff, right? So 
for that dream, it was just so beautiful to see him like that. And then I walked up to him, uh, really excited to see him saying, I'm going to miss you, acknowledging the loss. And then I told him that I loved him. And then we got the hug. And for me, I woke up right after that. And for me, I just, I couldn't understand what, what just happened because when I woke up, I felt everything change within me. Like I didn't put an interpretation on it. Mm-hmm. I just woke up changed and I could feel like the color came back into the world. I could feel it. Like there was a significant change and I could feel joy. I was smiling, but also I could feel my sadness again. So it helped me regulate my emotions, but there was just something about that. And instead of the dream was so peaceful and so calm, despite the fact I knew he was dead. Like there was this, like you would think I'd be like tearing up in there, but there's this peace within that dream. And I woke up and I just sat at the end of the bed thinking, what was that? Like, I still to this day don't know, but for me, it changed me. And I, I loved it for that because it gave me something that I couldn't provide myself at that time. And so I kept it really close. I felt it was very sacred and I didn't tell anyone. And I went back and you know, I continue to get those good grades at school yeah. and then move, move forward. But it was, I didn't really actually understand the significance of the topic for the world really until I was volunteering at a hospice in the bereavement program and the, I did some group and one-on-one supports and people kept asking about these dreams and the questions they had, I didn't really have answers to. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about the dream research at that time or even sleep. So I looked into the academic research that I did know. I still had an account at my undergrad school mm-hmm. and there just wasn't anything for them. And so at that moment I had a, a basically a choice to make is, you know, would I be the one to research this topic? I didn't want to be a researcher. I still don't, (laughs) you know, stats and research methodology. It wasn't what I wanted to do in life, but you know, it, it felt like there's this like almost a calling in a way where it was a very important moment. I think for people to, that people need to know answers to, but yet no one seems to care. And so I said, well, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Like I fail or I just don't get in. So after I got the courage to go there and apply and do all the things I needed to do, I got in. It was a really, you know, hard learning curve, you know, for me in both the MA and PhD. But you know, I made it through. You know, with the perseverance of, you know, with the help of friends and families, and also a lot of bereaved people who kept supporting me along the way, wanting to know some of these answers that I was trying to research. And when I got into the PhD and MA, that's when I really saw the vastness of the topic, and that's what we're going to talk about. But that is sort of like the a quick snapshot of the story. Mm-hmm just have how things started out so what are the things that you kind of started studying at that beginning then well i didn't know you can't really study everything you want to in a master's right right well that's true i'm sure you, can, you have a little more flexibility than you do in medical school just so you know in medical school there's no flexibility whatsoever but well you just get like basically it's a year you have a year to because yeah you're doing all your studies but then you really have a year to collect your stuff your your stats or your, just your data mm-hmm. and the way i was trying to collect it it was taking forever so um i couldn't really get everything i wanted to i did look at a dream journal which was nice to see how these dreams change over time and they do which is kind of interesting and then the other thing was I looked at, you know, different themes that, you know, different um, that were occurring in people's most memorable dreams that they had. And that in itself was, I think, really interesting because a lot of the research that was available at the time looked at themes. And so for me, I got to sort of have a data set where I can actually see if any of the other themes people sort of have introduced could be replicated and have you know really good inter reliability between judges. 
and they just didn't. So it was nice I had this data and I just made new themes that really brought together everyone else's themes. Because one of the things that I've learned, <laughs> people want to be the name of a thing. And so even though there's other, other themes out there that they could just adapt or like, you know, just add to it, they make their own different theme. And it's just like, it's very similar, but they just change it slightly. So I just really try to bring in all the themes and say, okay, how can we actually just score this and move this field forward? Because no one seems to want to like compromise with each other. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you feel like you've discovered over these years now? Well, the biggest thing was in my PhD because that's where I really got to, I did four studies, really got to focus on those questions I wanted to, mm -hmm. to, to look at, which is, you know, for the bereaved anyways, is why wasn't I having these dreams? Are these dreams common? And then, you know, what are the function of these dreams? And that's what I could do with the, the PhD, which was really nice. And I've learned so much. <laughs> like, <laughs> And, you know, I can't share everything on here. But what I can say is that one of the, the biggest issues why I want to start was because a lot of people, when they didn't have a dream of the deceased, they complicated their grief in many ways. They would say, if they're spiritual, oh, maybe they didn't cross over. Maybe that's why I'm not dreaming about them. Or maybe they're mad at me because I had to, like, sell the home. Or something like that like i couldn't give them what they they would have wanted or maybe the afterlife they just forgot about me so they sort of minimized you know how important they were and other people just get jealous because they want that moment and you have to be spiritual to want another moment with your loved one the big saying is they'll give a million dollars if we have one more moment mm -hmm. and people get a chance to have one more moment which is quite beautiful especially with those positive dreams and so I wanted to do the research. And so I looked at it with spousal loss and also pet loss and the results replicated, which is really nice because that's what you need in research. <laughs> and, and two different losses to, to also state that, you know, pet loss is disenfranchised, but yet it's still, you know, something that we need to sort of talk about. So the biggest thing there is what I found was I looked at a lot of different variables and the main one was that had predictive value was dream recall in general. So what it was saying is that people who remember more dreams in general tend to remember remember more of these types of dreams with the deceased and mm -hmm. so what it's saying to me is that a lot of people are having dreams that they probably just don't remember and that's uh a, a, you know something about you know just memory and the function of dreams and that's still a mystery in many ways just because we can't see all the dreams that we dream but yet we're remembering certain ones but there are ways to increase our recall which is really nice for people who want to have more dreams like that's one of the things I really sort of help people with. And, you know, for, for that, um, I, I should also say too, like once a bereaved individual comes to me and says like, I don't dream of the deceased, you know, what, what's wrong with me? You know, yeah. it's always the question. I always say, you know, like, so what is the, uh, how often do you remember dreaming? And most people will say, well, not very often. Mm -hmm. And then you just really connect the two dots and you say, you know, so what are the chances of you having one of these types of dreams? Right. And it just allows people to think and in grief, it's hard to sort of connect the dots. So it's just nice to give people that scientific explanation to reduce a lot of those negative things that they have. But I also say, like, if you want to increase your recall, you can, you know. So there is, I, I should say, you know, 10% of the population doesn't really remember dreaming. And so those people probably wouldn't have these dreams anyways. And just understanding that. Mm -hmm. But there's certain people that may only dream once a month. So there is some memory of dreams, but it's just not uh, high at all. But you can increase that. And that's the beauty of dreams is when you value dreams, what happens is your mind says, oh, you, you like this stuff? I'm going to remember it for you. And you'll actually start remembering more of these dreams. Our culture is really bad for talking about the significance of dreams. Mm -hmm. It took me 
fourth year university to actually get a, a one lecture just on dreams. It was in a sleep course and most people don't have sleep courses. So most people go throughout their whole academic career and even high school and everything was just ever knowing the research on dreams. And I think that's a sad thing because people are left to their own devices of trying to understand the topic. So once you start valuing it, one thing is if you listen to this podcast, listen, uh, talking about your dreams with others. But one of the go-tos is keeping a dream diary. So when you have a dream, you write it down and you're basically telling yourself, I want to remember this. And so you'll have more and more. And what's interesting research has shown is by doing that, you will increase your frequency rate. And just for me, I tried it. I usually have like three dreams a week that I remember. And after I started doing it from the first month, I was having three or four dreams per night. And so finally I just had to stop and said, you know, this is too much. Like I'm waking up way too much. <laughs> so now I only remember, I want to write down the memorable dreams to me that I want to sort of remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My husband, I don't think ever remembers dreams at all. And I don't that often either. And you talking about, you know, not learning much about it. I mean, when you think about the importance of sleep, sleep is very, very important, right? I talk, I'm a pediatrician, so I talk to parents about their kids sleep all the time. But what have, did I ever learn anything in medical school about sleep? No, not once. Oh, really? Nothing. Oh. Not a thing. I mean, I can't, not <laughs> one course, nothing about sleep. I, you just oh. kind of have that, yeah, that general gestalt of people need sleep. And if they don't have <laughs> sleep and they're sleep deprived, bad things happen, right? And and we know that it increases your stress hormone levels and things like that, yeah. but I don't, we don't study sleep. So wow. even in that community, let alone the general population, you're not gonna learn things about, about sleep and dreams <laughs> and things like that. So yeah, and I know too, just thinking about myself, I have a few dreams that I remember about Andy. Not that many, more about my mother actually. I, I had more of those, but I would find myself a little jealous if someone else had more, right? Because I do just want a little more of him. And most of those dreams that I had, especially at the beginning, he was always dying. So it was like very sad and he died in a car accident. So he was never sick and dying, but in my dreams, I would like be knowing he was going to die in the next few weeks because he would be he would be dying and but recently i just had one not too long ago and the only thing i remember from the dream is that so he was happy and healthy which is the first one i'd had of him happy and healthy which was really nice but wow. at some point in like the middle of the dream and he's i don't even know what we're doing he turned to me and said remember when i was dead mom and i was like yep <laughs> I totally remember when you were dead. So it was like my brain or something wanted to remind me, this isn't real. He's real. He is really dead and he's still dead. And he's reminding you, like, remember when I used to be dead? So it was just the most odd thing to wake up and tell my husband, like, I had this crazy dream about Andy last night. And he was like talking about when he used to be dead, but he wasn't anymore, so. <laughs> yeah, no, he was, he was right there. He's yeah, talking right there. to me. He's totally fine, <laughs> talking to me, yeah, so. Yeah, it's, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's great to share those experiences because a lot of people, you know, they, they do have these negative dreams, you know, like mm -hmm. it's not as common as the positive ones, but they, they do occur and it's nice to sort of bring some energy or some awareness to it. And especially your, the loss was so traumatic yeah. of oh, yeah. Andy, you know, and, and you weren't there at the incident, yes, I was right? In it, yeah. Oh, you were okay. Yeah. 
Well, and I have PTSD from that, so you know, yeah. Yeah. So and and so what like I found in my research when it comes to even these negative dreams, they are related to post-traumatic symptoms and unresolved feelings of guilt or blame. And so when you start looking at that, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, dreams in general. So here's some dreams 101, you know, education. So dreams represent our waking life. And so a lot of people can understand how you're feeling in waking life will affect your dreams in many ways. Mm -hmm. And so if you're really excited and happy, you're going to have more positive dreams. If you're sad and depressed, you're going to have more negative dreams. And then also what you watch and what you think about before bed, especially in the last hour or so can really influence what images appear in your dreams. So if you're watching a horror film or the news, you're going to have probably a negative dream. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just understanding that and how important that is. And so, it allows you to also understand too, your mind's working on something because it also is for trauma dreams. There's three types of kind of trauma dreams you see. One is like reenactment of the actual scene that's happening. Mm-hmm. So um, the other one would be them dying in a different way, which was going on, that's going on with you. And that's is theorized to be more active processing where the, where the mind's actually trying to incorporate the loss a little bit more yeah. while you're, while you're sleeping. Well, the, which would make a lot of sense, honestly, because it was just so, so sudden. And and that was a big thing. Like, I just, like, you know, I'd go places. I'd go to a grief support group, and I would just, like, my mind would be screaming to me, you don't belong here. He's not really dead. You know? That's, yeah. That's what would, like, pop in my head all the time because I couldn't quite accept that it really had happened and that he really could be dead. Right. And that's why, you know, some of the things when we talk about, look at these dreams, sometimes it is a reflection of not not only digesting it, but also making it real um, for the individual, especially if we're trying to avoid it. So there is, even with a negative dream, there can be um, a reason for it. Mm -hmm. And another type of trauma dream is feeling helpless within the dream. So here you'll, the deceased needs support or help and you just can't give them that in some way. And so that's what you see. And like you have on that. So it's understandable. And it's not to be afraid of the dreams per se, but just understanding that your mind's working on the loss as you're sleeping. And this is just, you're, you're seeing basically what's going on in a way. And there are ways to, you know, work with those types of nightmares. And one of them that's, you know, it's really important to know because a lot of people have these. Right. Especially I would guess, I, I would just guess that moms and dad's parents might have I know, I mean, I've done episodes on guilt. I talk about guilt all the time. There is so much parent guilt when your child dies. I mean, whether it's you know rational guilt or totally irrational guilt, it ends up happening, right? Because what's your job as a parent? Your job yeah. as a parent is to take care of your child and keep them alive. I mean, how many times do you see on Facebook jokes about whatever, like, well, I guess they're just still alive, you know, and you think, yeah, and some of us can't do that, right? And so you do have this sense of guilt when your child dies. Just I, I think we all do. I, I don't know that I've talked to a parent who doesn't have at least a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Well, you definitely, I would think, would question, could I have done more? Could I have done right. anything differently? Right, like I mean, lot. if it's disease, yeah. it's like, I should have seen something sooner. I should yeah. have. It's all this, I should have, I should have, I should have, right? I mean, in yeah. our car accident, like... I, why didn't I notice? Why didn't we leave earlier? Why didn't I do this? I mean, I should mm. have been able to protect him and and I should have been able to prevent this from happening. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's it. It's a tough road for parents to walk. And I feel for anyone who has to deal with that. And then you have these dreams on top of it, which just makes it even more challenging because 
of the distress you're waking up with. So a lot of people go to bed just to escape the world and then they get back and they try to balance. They feel a little bit balanced and they can move forward. But when you have one of these distressing dreams, it's happening right away and you don't get like a breath and you're back in the, the stick of everything and you just don't get that relief where, you know, other people do. And so, no, it's very, very challenging. I want to say too, when it comes to just other types of dreams without the deceased in it, because those are also grief dreams. And I just go back to the research. So after, so in general, just because most people go to bed anxious, just in general, mm -hmm. most on average people have negative dreams. So just like what people need to know. Okay. That is a good statement yeah. to just like <laughs> put out there. Like you're not <laughs> yeah. strange if your dreams no. are negative. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And the other thing is after trauma, when you look at it, those individuals dreams in general are even more consistently negative. So you would think after loss, you know, you're going to have just negative dreams in general. Mm -hmm. And then when the deceased in it, you would think you would have more of these negative dreams too, which, you know, it's, it's, it's only more based on sort of that trauma and aspects. Mm -hmm. you, you sort of see that, but in general, you're having more positive dreams where the deceased is present in the imagery. And that makes these dreams very unique because it's doing something differently than just general dreams. And I think that's where people can get a lot of different theories on why that is. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just interesting to actually have data now to showcase that and to how to, you know, how people can work with it. So the, the negative dreams yeah. <laughs> keep jumping back and forth. That's so good. how to deal with it, how to deal with a negative dream. So if you're having one, it works for all ages, you know, I said even even kids, the best way to do it is to actually call it, it's called dream rescripting. And what you do is you change the dream so it becomes something comforting to you. So you don't avoid the dream and you don't get distressed by thinking about the dream. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here, let's say someone's chasing you. You know, you wake up gasping for, for breath. And then it's so like, how would I change that dream? So there's a couple of ways you can do that. One is you can change the ending. So I'm running away. All of a sudden I turn around. Oh, it's, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's a stuffed animal that I used to love. And it just wants to hug, right? And then you hug and then that's the dream. So that's the dream you remember uh, and you think about for the next couple of days. And research has shown that that actually decreases the distress if you ever have that dream again but also can actually eliminate the dream from even occurring, which is I think really fascinating. Mm -hmm. The other thing you can do is maybe not change the ending because maybe the dream just in general was just horrifying. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is provide a character or something within the dream to change the circumstances of that dream moving forward. And so here you could be running, same concept, you're being chased. Well, let's say you started somewhere, you met like Superman, is the, I guess the kids, right? Or yeah, Batman. Yeah. You met them, uh, someone was chasing you, and they helped you get away and escape, right? Like, so it's just something nice. And then you get to have coffee with them afterwards. So it's just something nice that you can have that it makes you smile. And th that is allowing you to, you know, have that relief. But it's also changing a lot. And what research has found too is not only does our waking day life affect our dreams, but our dreams can affect our waking life. And that's what I'm saying. Like, when you start, having these dreams of the individual dying again, and that's going to affect how you relate in waking life, your, your emotions moving forward, but also it's very triggering as you move forward. So you're going to actually probably be the same or if not worse as you would have been without remembering that dream. Mm -hmm. And so there has been a lot of circumstances where someone's dealing with PTSD, they have this dream, they basically change the dream imagery, the individual doesn't have that dream anymore, and then their trauma also changes accordingly. So because they're having less of those dreams, their trauma is also changing. But yet the only significant difference of what happened was they changed this dream. And so it's very interesting on how things move from like the dream world and how it all connects to one another. So that's why it's so important to just 
have some understanding about the topic and give people some different things that they can do to be able to process it. Because as you said, like this stuff should be taught in elementary school and high school because we're all sleeping and we're all dreaming, mm-hmm. you know? So um, I don't know why it's not, but hey, here we are now. Hopefully the people that, that realize this, they can actually do something that with those dreams that they do have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think back to the first person that ever had me rescript a dream was my mother way back when I was like about seven years old. So my grandparents' house had been destroyed in a tornado and they survived and they were fine, but the entire house was destroyed. And so that obviously gave me some fears as a kid. And then I had a dream then that their house was burning down. And I remember waking up and, you know, and just crying to my mom and she's, and she told me, you know, well, we've got to change the dream. And I, remember very specifically I changed the dream and when I went back to sleep I changed it and all the fire turned into like magical I don't know sparkles or whatever and it all all the walls came back all the so the fire just turned into these golden beautiful things like fairy dust almost I think it was really like fairy dust that's the best explanation and then everyone was fine and so it's funny that's beautiful it's funny that that's like oh my mom did that like she had no training in anything at all but no. she just wanted her daughter to feel better so well I think she probably utilized that maybe her technique or someone may have told her that but yeah I think that's amazing some people just no, because it works, right? And right. so they, they, I'm glad you figured that out. As a child, I had a lot of nightmares. So I was living with an alcoholic and at school, I wasn't, um, I guess I was getting picked on a lot. And so I had a lot of negative dreams myself. And so when I told my parents, they told me it was the devil in disguise that he was trying to attack me. And okay. so I actually was a really afraid. <laughs> and it's not the first time I've heard that, right? So, but it was, it was, it, I was really afraid of dreams and I, I didn't want to remember dreams either. So for me, you know, dreams have never been a big thing, but what I did when I had those dreams later on and like they kept being there and being triggered in different ways and unsafe environments. But I learned to do that technique of, you know, get being able to get away. And that's how I processed it. And then when I went to university and heard about this, I was like, oh, I was doing that myself just without anyone ever even telling me. I just found that that was a little bit more beneficial to reduce the distress. And so, yeah, it's it's interesting what people say as a way of they think that they're comforting the people or yeah. problem solving for them. But sometimes it's just, you know, bad advice. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've talked to so many different parents now and some do have dreams and others don't. And and it and ends up being a little bit of, I mean, people feel bad. They feel bad when you aren't having dreams and jealous of others who are having dreams. I mean, I told you I felt that myself, but a lot of my listeners are going to feel that way that they are not sure what to make of that and and you know i don't want them to feel bad if they're not remembering any dreams well i think that's the big thing they're probably having them but just not remembering them Mm -hmm. and you know why we remember certain dreams at certain times is still a mystery Mm -hmm. but they may be having you know very negative dreams and why would you want to remember those so it could be a safeguard that's actually occurring too but one thing I would suggest is there has been, you know, some research on, on this, but just in dream incubation in general, and they've used this throughout time, where before bed, what you do is you think about a dream you really want to have, even write it down, and just, you know, process that dream. And on my website, griefdreams.ca, I have a dream builder worksheet people could use to actually write down the dream they want to have. Because one of the, you know, getting beyond this, one of the issues people did have when they said they didn't have a dream. Mm-hmm. they really wanted one i would say well what dream do you want to have 
And they would say, I don't know. Well, I said, well, <laughs> you had a lot of time to think about this. You wanted it for so like so badly, but you never really you know, thought about what that would look like, what it would feel like, what the scenery would be. And so I developed that exercise for them and for people to be able to talk about it in a support group because not everyone has a dream, but everyone can make one up and share what those details would be, which allows people to see the similarities and differences and what they're you know, longing for and what they wish they could have. So anyways, what you could do is have that, you know, do that exercise and then before bed, just think about it as you fall asleep. And so research has shown and some people have said that that actually has triggered a dream. Sometimes it's not the exact one, but it could have them in the imagery, which is what you know we really want and is positive. So you know, these are different things you could do. Um, I still need to do more research on that myself to sort of see if that's applicable with dreams of the deceased, mm -hmm. just because they tend to be really unique and they don't come all that often. Some people have said that it um, they've prayed or which is kind of similar praying for a dream or even like being triggered by doing that but yeah more research needs to be done but that's something proactive they can do and at the same time that exercise itself would be helpful to them just to sort of see what they're longing for yeah i like that idea because i feel like i in many ways i'm scared to have a dream about him mm. because i feel like i feel like my experience has not been great and they've not been great dreams and so then i get you know, nervous about wanting to. So I think if you tried to script it a little bit ahead of time as you're falling asleep, that might be a really helpful thing to be able to do. Yeah, I could definitely see Andy saying, I love you more. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's exactly what he would say. Yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> so you have a podcast now too, don't you? I do. Yeah, we're, uh, we're up there getting up to 200 episodes. And it's beautiful because the you know, one thing I love about research, well, I don't love about research, but um, <laughs> with research, you can get data when people need sort of that quantitative, you know, data to validate the topic, and which is great, you know, and so I've done a lot of that. But I also miss that qualitative aspect of seeing the dreams and seeing what people felt like from the dreams, rather than a score from one to 10, how did you feel? It's like, no, let's actually let's talk about it. And that's what the podcast is really built for. It's just for people to express how calm these are, how it made them feel, positive or negative, and also to express more of their life and how grief was a part of that. And so that's what the Grief Dreams podcast does. So yeah, almost 200 interviews with different people who have all had dreams. And it's amazing for me to, because I get a lot, I'm still learning a lot on the topic, just because there's not a lot of research out there. But I, I get so much, you know, so much joy from hearing about this stuff, because I can utilize how they've experienced it and how they dealt with some of the stuff as I move forward to help others in the future. And you feel like overall they're more positive than negative. I don't feel, I, I know, you I know. got the data. Okay. I got the, well, I got well, the data, yeah. Well, well, prove it to me then, <laughs> Dr. Black, tell me. Well, I'll talk about how frequent these dreams actually are because they keep saying they're common, but we actually haven't put numbers to them. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the, <laughs> sorry, when you look at the spousal loss, so it's one of the, the lost types I looked at, mm -hmm. And it was 86% had a dream of the deceased within the first 12 to 24 months. Okay. And that's huge. If you remember 10% of the population just doesn't remember dreaming. Yeah. And so, you know, that's a lot of people are experiencing these dreams. And then when you look at, you know, pet loss, it was 78% within the first six months. Then even miscarriages, it was 58% mm -hmm. um, within the year. And so it's, it's, and another study I didn't do, but someone else did, it was children and 55% of them after a parent died, had a dream of their parent. And so these are huge numbers. If you think about all the people you've come in contact with, you'd think, you know, most of them have had a dream of some type. And then when you look at what types of dreams are these people having, and just after spousal loss, it was around 90% 
said they had a positive dream of the deceased, like the imagery was positive. And then with around 40% was negative. And so with pet loss, a little different. And that was uh, same around 90% positive and it was about 30% um, negative. So you start seeing how different it is. I, when I went in, I expected it to be 90% negative and 30% positive, just because that's what I was expecting based on other research on dreams in general. Mm -hmm. But it's not, it's something different going on. And I think there's a lot of beauty to that and a lot to learn about even the, the human body and the mind and what's going on because it's doing something differently. And, and for me, it's helping us in many ways. If it's positive, what are those functions of those positive images then? Like what's actually occurring? And you, when you look at grief, you, I've done some research in continuing bonds and the, what these dreams are doing is helping people to maintain that, maintain a connection with the deceased loved one in whatever way. And you don't need to be spiritual to have these dreams. I should mention when I looked at the predictors of who's having these dreams, spirituality had nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. And so everyone is having it. It's just the interpretations people give on them are sure, different, sure. Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's good to know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so th that's for, for me, it's just, it's really amazing to, to see that, that change and to understand that it is doing some sort of support and maintaining a continuing bond. Well, that's what we're trying to do in waking life in many ways. That's what we keep their clothes. That's what we, you know, we talk about them. We go to support groups. We're remembering them in many ways. And that can be very helpful for certain people to be able to do. And these dreams tend to be encouraging that in many ways. And then there's other things it's doing. It can regulate your emotions, which it did for me. Like that positive dream was just so amazing and beautiful. And then to feel loved is one of the most common themes when it comes to these positive dreams across cultures is this this love that's either being emitted in the imagery or the deceased says it with words or vice versa the dreamer says it to the deceased with words so there's this love that's actually the main focus of that and reconnecting that and i think in grief it says a lot how you know when we look at grief i think a lot of times we forget on the love has shifted in many ways in the sense that a lot of times we're not getting the support that we used to get from them and so we can feel a lack of, I don't know, we don't feel as good as we used to because we have friends, we have family and people because they make us feel good in, in one way or another. They give us some sort of reason to be around them. And that can be many reasons. For a mom, I gave you sort of, you know, to be that mom role. And like, that is so beautiful to be able to, to experience that. But when that goes, it's like, you know, a part of that also sort of needs to be is challenged in a lot of ways. And so I think these little positive dreams, what they do is really help us to feel love again, help us feel like that hasn't changed. Like we can still feel the love within ourselves and to remind us that we're still loved too mm -hmm. for all the things that are going on. And, and for me, like that's a beautiful power of, of these dreams and it does other grief work. So sometimes people will have answer, have questions like maybe why's, like why did you have to do that? Especially with suicide and stuff like that. And sometimes they get the answer, which is, I think, amazing. And other times they get um, they get an apology if they they felt that, you know, something happened, too. So there's a lot of areas in which the the content of the dreams actually helps release guilt and helps people through the grieving process in many other blocks that they do have. Like for me, my block was, you know, I didn't get to say goodbye to my father. I got a chance to say that. I also didn't get a chance. The last time I told him I loved him was probably when I was four or five. Like, it's just something he never said to me. I never said to him, but it was just like, you know, kind of like agreed upon. <laughs> and so, 
but I didn't know how much like how much I needed that. And you know, in the dream, I had that. And so you see that with a lot of other things. And I just think it's remarkable, you know, as as uh, a researcher to just understand like how just fastness the topic is and how it can help support people through a very very difficult time that a lot of people aren't saying. They'll say the person's resilient. Wow, good job. But like they may have had had a grief dream that actually helped them along the way to be where they are. Mm -hmm. And so let's ask about that and let's sort of talk to people about it. Well, and I've had different parents share some of the dreams they've had, and you're right that they had been overwhelmingly positive. I think, you know, they're probably less likely to share things that would be negative, certainly. I have one woman that I'm thinking of, and right off the top of my head, Rizarta, her son Layart died, and, and she has dreams about him quite often. And in fact, the day I interviewed her, um, she ended up texting me the next day because she had a dream of Layart and Andy together. Um, together in heaven, wow. interestingly, she, uh, Layart is Muslim and my son Andy is Christian, but they were together in heaven in her dream. And so she was very quick to like, she's frantically texting me back about, <laughs> about our boys being together in heaven. Mm. Um, so it was really just beautiful. It's... And what's funny is that she and I were in contact quite a bit for a while. And then I did have a dream about Andy, like shortly after just mm. talking to her a lot about Layart and Layart's dreams. And so it's funny huh. how you kind of, you know, you just start opening yourself up to it a little more. I felt like that's almost yeah. what I had needed to do then was just opening myself up to the idea of it. And mm. um, as opposed to being scared of it, which is what I had sort of been in right. the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if you're, it's definitely you're afraid of it, I can see that blocking it because you're telling your mind, I don't want to, if I have this, I don't want to remember it. Yeah, like it, it right. freaked me out too much to whatever, but it can be, I said, like, it can be the most comforting and doesn't say you don't have to believe it's a visitation. Yeah, to, right, right. Just, mm -hmm. just to have another moment with the person. And even for a lot, some people that have told me they got to relive a memory they forgot. And one of the things with grief is you try to remember, you want to write down all the moments you had together, but it's, you know, it's a lost cause. And so you kind of get depressed, but you can have these moments where you're like, oh, wow, like I remember that. And it triggers a lot of other things. And I like how you were talking about dreams with your friend, just because, you know, it does provide another avenue of how to talk about our grief. We get, you know, a lot of times it's very structured and like there's certain things we talk about, but, you know, this can lead to more conversation, a different type of conversation that can help us to have new ways and new tools just to be able to explore loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're right. Our conversations changed quite a bit once we just kind of started talking about about these dreams instead of just, you know, it, and it's nice. It's nice sort of to have that little bit of a fantasy when yeah. when things in the day are not always so great, right? And the grief is heavy and yeah. the grief is hard and the grief is dark uh, to be able to get a little bit of a reprieve from that. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say, too, when we talk about like these dreams of you know deceased children, there's something that's interesting that actually happens that you don't see really in other dreams. And, you know, one is there's tend to be a lot of play going on, which tells me that uh, adults, when they lose, so like an adult dies, um, there's no play, it's more or less conversation. So it just tells me, just like as a researcher, we don't play that often <laughs> with each other. Yeah. And so there's a very beautiful aspect of, I think, you know, why we also miss children too because like they allow us to play we don't we feel it's safe to play but if you play tag with an adult you're probably they're gonna look at you weird and like not call you back yeah. <laughs> so, right so it's it allows you to have that sort of that joyfulness to you but the other thing is that these children 
they can age as they would have in waking life. So if they died, let's say at four, in two years, you could dream of them as six and as it continues on. But you don't see that. You don't see adults aging. If anything, if a, like a, if, uh, my a father dies or a parent dies, um, what happens is they'll usually go back in your imagery to a, a time where they're healthy and well, being well, so like 40, maybe 50, or just before they were sick. So it's really interesting how like they don't age. I haven't seen that yet with an adult, but for that imagery, you sort of see that. And I think that's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember being woken up one time um, to, I could have sworn it was like Andy saying my name, waking me up, but it was Andy whose voice was changing and his voice never changed. So, you know, it was like, whoa, it was just weird because it felt like what it would have been had he still been alive mm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's funny yeah. what you say about the play, because even like I told you that those dreams I was having at the beginning where he was dying, I think he had a brain tumor in the one and he was going to be, he was going mm. to die in like three weeks. I don't know why I specifically remember that it was three weeks, but, but we were at summer camp. So we were doing summer camp together to try to do something fun with him before he was going to be dying. So even in that, which was not an overly great positive dream, but we were still like playing and trying to do fun stuff together that you wouldn't have expected, you know, maybe in a different type of dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. You start looking at, you know, as you talk about, it, you start looking back at some of the dreams and getting more of an understanding. Yeah and normalizing those experiences and seeing different clues. And that's why there's there's so much rich detail in dreams that can really help people as they move forward and to provide new forms of conversation. And that's why I've like, I've done, like, I, I provide, you know, one-on-one uh, grief, um, grief dreams consulting, just because a lot of people just don't have that space. You know, like, it's great. You have someone, I think it's amazing. I think everyone should have like a, a dream buddy, but some people don't, right? Like, <laughs> and so, you it know, made, people especially- It you want to text Rosarta and ask her what hey, her you got, you got, it, you yeah. got, you got to do it. I know, Rosarta from New Jersey. I love how I have these like friends all over the world really now that I could like send little messages to that I'll like take up different parts of my life. So who, yeah, who would have thought, you know, being like doing the podcast and just like doing like being you like would, you know, capture the friendships of so many. And I think that's a beautiful thing that's going on where, you know, people have the support and we, they have different skill sets too on what they want to talk about. And yeah, you can pick and choose whatever you feel. Exactly. Exactly. There are different people. Like you said, she's my dream buddy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's what... Yeah, I should tag on at the end of this episode of Rosarta telling telling her <laughs> most recent dream or something, huh? <laughs> you could. Oh, could you do that? Like get her to talk about her dream experience and then like plug it in at the end. That'd I think nice. that'd be kind of fun to do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so are there other things you feel like you want to share today with the audience or? That, you know, like it's it's been, I think, enough. I, I could probably go on for hours. I do have like a grief dreams training course. So people who actually oh, want to know more, it's nine and a half hours. So like, there's a lot more we can say. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so if people want to learn more about it. I think that's the place to go. And you can find that link through my website, griefdreams.ca. But yeah, for the most part, it's just like, understand your concerns. If you need to talk to me or whatever, you know, let me know because you know that's, that's one thing I do want to do is just be available for people to not feel so alone on the topic and i and i wish everyone to you know go on my website download 
the form and, and make a dream that they want to have tonight and really sort of ask their other loved ones and family members to be able to do that too and talk about that and see how that would be different because I think that's a good moment to share together. Well, and I think too, it's uh, it's scary for a lot of people to even ask that question of their loved ones. Are you having dreams about so-and-so? Yeah. Because I think you are right in that the overwhelming consensus would be is this will be something negative so if i ask dad about this or brothers and sisters or whatever if i ask other people about it they're going to tell me something bad and in all actuality that that is likely not the case there likely are if they're having things are more positive than your general you know nightmares that you have as you go to bed after watching even the news or something so yeah and I think, too, one of the other issues why people, you know, a couple, why people don't share these dreams is they may, may have them, but like me, like I didn't share my dream. It was very sacred. Yeah. And the fear I think people have is when they share it, the person on the other end is not going to provide a safe space. And that's understandable. No one's trained to be able to provide that safe space. And people have their biases. So someone who's not spiritual that has, say, a very positive dream. Will tell someone who's spiritual and they immediately say that's a visitation and they don't want to hear that right. so their walls go up and they're never going to share that again because they just want that moment they just and that moment is that. yeah mm -hmm. it's just a beautiful piece of art it's like they got to be inside of that and and carry that with them and they don't need to sort of interpret it that way like that well, and you do even right? on yeah. the other end too if you did interpret yeah. it that way and then other people kind of poo poo it as that right. really can't happen Right, then, <laughs> then that would make people feel really bad too and not want to share That's right. anymore. That's right. So a lot of people are just keeping these hidden. The other uh, thing that people have said to me is that they don't want to share even amongst their family members or even ask the question because they don't want other people to get jealous because they've had one. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes they'll ask, oh, have you had a dream? They'll say no. And they say, oh, I haven't either, even though they had, just to make it like yeah. <laughs> and normal. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, it's understanding that some people actually get benefit from hearing other people's dreams. Because if someone is spiritual and they're looking for that sign they crossed over, well, they can use your dream to help them. Mm -hmm. But I look at a lot of the dreams just I that come through the podcast. There's so much wisdom that can help anyone in a, um, a difficult situation. Just the wisdom that the words have spoken can really be very helpful to many people. I think it's just understanding that and, and using also discernment on how you look at your own dreams because there are, I should mention this too, just because, you know, why not? There is a, a theme called come join me. And, and when we talk about mental health, especially in the pandemic, since, you know, this is just challenging so many people mm -hmm. on top of their grief, well, this is related to, in my research, high forms of trauma, like the highest forms of trauma. And you, see, you can see it across cultures. So in the Torja, indigenous people of Indonesia, when someone has one of these types of dreams, it's a sign they're going to die soon. And mm -hmm. so in a culture like that, you'd think if someone has uh, high forms of trauma, they wouldn't be able to um, do things normally that they could do, like hunt or gather or build without making a significant mistake that could kill them. But also another... Um, a, a psychologist found in her practice, she hasn't had the data, but she's found in her practice, when that theme comes up, it's rare, when it does, there are, she relates it to high forms of suicide ideation. Mm -hmm. And so that also could be related to why, and maybe in the torch of people, the individual dies, is maybe they actually kill themselves. And so what the dream is, is that uh, the deceased is actually dragging the individual to the afterlife, mm -hmm. is sort of the core concept, or the deceased is trying to convince you to kill yourself. 
And it could be a very positive way. And they say, this is the only way we can be together. Like, so they're not angrily doing it. It's actually a very loving dream. And so we have to be careful when we talk about, you know, these dreams to really actually understand what the person's thinking and use discernment before we speak, because it can really change on what people do. And unfortunately, I can see a lot of people who have had these, you know, maybe even these positive dreams of the deceased, they actually did kill themselves because maybe they thought that they were going to reunite with that individual. So it's just understanding the importance of asking about these dreams and also then using discernment when we talk about them. Right. And knowing where their mental state is to begin with, because obviously what you're thinking in the day is why things manifest to at night. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, So that is an important uh, thing to talk about for sure. So, well, uh, thank you so much for sharing everything. Again, why don't you just say your website again and how people can get in touch with you and what kinds of things you can kind of offer to people? Okay. Well, yeah, you, uh, people can find me at griefdreams.ca. And on there, you'll have common questions that I, I answer. Then there's links to the train Grief Dreams train, training course, the one-on-one grief dreams consultings on there and then there's my the podcast links grief dreams podcast and then if you have instagram i am pretty active on there and so i showcase a lot of dreams that come in to me so that's at grief dreams oh very good yeah i know i really enjoyed your commonly asked questions page i found that extremely helpful when i was looking into you so thank you for that that was a good page for sure so. Did you the, the other pages I, I like it's really interesting is uh, the grief dreams in pop culture. So these are dreams I've seen in movies I've watched or music. And so I think that's also a really interesting thing is how common it is among the movies we've watched that we just haven't clued in yet. Really? And you know so okay. yeah yeah so take a look at that and you'll probably notice a couple too. yeah. 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 <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, thank you again. Well, thank you. I appreciate anyone who provides time for me to just spread awareness on this. And so thank you for uh, having this platform. I am back, as promised, with Rosarta, Layard's mom, uh, also known, I guess, now as my dream buddy, which I didn't realize you were my dream buddy. But now after talking to Dr. Black, I realized you are my dream buddy, because when I think about dreams, I think about you. And even after I talk to you, I will have end up having a dream about Andy. So which he says is kind of common. So if you kind of talk about dreams and think about dreams, then you'll have more dreams. So I just out of the blue sent you a text message after I got off with Dr. Black asking if you'd had any recent dreams about layout that you'd want to share. And of course you said yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. As far as for dreams, uh, I recently had one, you know, with grief, you miss touching them. You yeah. miss feeling them, like the way he felt on me. I missed that. So I had a dream a couple years ago when he was still here, we went to a carnival uh, and he had so much fun. I only had my two boys uh, back then. And then recently after he passed, I had the same dream where I was this time with my three kids, uh, with my oh. little one. Yes, he, my little one was there. was in it. Liart was in it. Um, so I felt the joy, like I could feel normal again. Yes. Ooh, having my three boys together. Yes. So I'm tossing and turning and I didn't even notice. My little one climbed in into bed. He was two at the time. 
between my husband and I, and he was there. So I was like, tossing. I might have grabbed his leg, and mm-hmm. I'm still dreaming. So I'm like, it felt just like Liard. And then for a split second, you forget. Yeah. You forget that they're gone. And then reality kicks in, and I open up my eyes, and there was Tian, which, you know, thank God. But, you know, it wasn't yeah. Liard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you remember anything else about what happened in the dream? It was just us, like, going on the carnival, enjoying the rides. The most thing that I could remember is the feeling that I felt. Yeah. The feeling, the yeah. peace of having my three boys together, the love, love uh, me, like I felt me. You're not the same person. Uh, yeah. You know, I was yeah. a mother of three. Now I'm a mother of two. Yeah. That yeah. was, yeah. So you felt whole. You I felt, felt whole. whole. Yes. Yes. I did. Yes. So thank you thank so you much for, having for me. sharing. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be your dream buddy. Yes, you're my dream buddy. We've got to keep keep it up. Keep sending me dreams. I'll send you mine too. We'll see if I dream tonight. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.